For those who don't know, know me, I am uh, known by a couple of names. So if you, if you saw the email this morning, uh, elder nominations, they call me Roberto Flores. And then um, the bulletin said Chobe Flores. So I'm the same person, uh, just with different names. I'm one of the deacons at the moment for Discover Alliance Church, and Paul is uh, in Billings. Uh, and I, I said I would be more than happy to share God's word with you this morning. It, it is always a, a gamble when uh, there's a new preacher coming on and say, what is he going to talk about? Um, maybe at Discovery Church, uh, we have better, better confidence that the person who gets up here to preach is going to preach Christ crucified for your sins. So that is what I'm going to do for you this morning. Um, if you would stand up for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in Romans 8.31 through 39. Romans 8.31 through 39. This is the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but deliver him over for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you haven't noticed what the sermon is all about, the sermon is about assurance Christian assurance, assurance of salvation. Um, many sermons could be done on this subject, and my time here is limited. I cannot preach on, on every aspect of assurance or respond to every objection, but I will be more than happy to talk to you at the end, and I can point you maybe in the right direction for other resources. The purpose of my sermon this morning is to encourage you as a follower of Jesus Christ to have assurance of salvation. And that we would primarily look to Jesus Christ and fix our eyes upon Jesus 
and only Him for our assurance. Assurance of salvation does not stand on its own. That is to say that if a Christian desires to have assurance of salvation, one must have a right understanding of justification by faith alone. How are we saved? Who is Jesus? What has he done for us? Doctrines of providence and so on. And I have done sermons on those, and you can go to the website to listen to the audio version. I don't know if it's okay to plug in my own sermons, but you can find them on Discovery. Um, why do we need assurance? It's, it's something we should sought, uh, should be seeking. Um, and the problem is that if we do not have assurance of salvation, we will not live a life that glorifies God. Because those who constantly doubt their standing before God often waste hours, they often waste days, and even years searching for assurance. If we do not have this assurance, we will lack joy, we will lack peace. You can't have communion with God when you're afraid that He's always angry with you. Searching for assurance can become tiresome, exhausting, and if you're looking in the wrong places, you will never find it. So my point, point number one, point number one, is it possible for Christians to have assurance at all? There are religions out there, there are sects, there are cults, and they do not have assurance. So is it possible to have assurance? 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So if John were writing to you, and in a sense, John is writing to you, he wants you to know that you have salvation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, For we know, this is Paul, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The word for conviction is the same word for assurance. So Paul here is saying such an amazing thing. Paul is confident that he had chosen the people from Thessalonica that he had elected them. He says, we know he has chosen you. People usually get very uncomfortable when the word chosen, elect, and predestination come up. But the problem is that all of the scriptures talk about it. We sang about it. And the only question is whether your doctrine of election is a biblical one or not. And, and that would be a sermon for a different day. But Paul is saying here, we know he has chosen you. How do you know if God has chosen you? Great question. You guys are asking great questions. Um, how do you know if God has chosen you? And I know that this is a question that haunts many people. Here's the answer. Are you ready? Verse 5. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but in the Holy Spirit. Because you received the gospel and believed it, you embraced it, and you have put your hope in Christ, the author and the finisher of faith. That's how you know if you're one of God's elect. 
That's what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians. Acts 13.48 says, As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. We are so good at doubting. We are experts at doubting. There are some people out there, I remember especially 2020, 2021, they said they were the experts. But you know what? We really are the experts. And we are the experts at doubting all sorts of things. We doubt if we're going to have a job next year. We can doubt, will our children be healthy? Will they be okay as they grow? Will people come to church on Super Bowl Sunday? That's what pastors usually wonder. Um, the, but there were, there were people here uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. We're creatures who doubt. But Christ does not want us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to trust His promises because it's not a man that He should lie. Christ did not Christ was not put on the cross, dead, buried, and rose from the dead so that you may be wondering like a kid who is in love with a the, with the girl in high school or the girl in love with a boy. And he picks a flower and says, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. Sometimes Christians do that. They think that based on how well they have done that week, God, they'll say, oh, God loves me. Next week, what happens if you do not live up to God's law? You say, God loves me not. God loves me. God loves me not. But Christ wants you to have assurance. Point number two. What about those who have false assurance? I'm sure you have met people who think that they're saved. And yet their lives do not reflect this reality. And so naturally... True Christians think that they could be the ones that think they're saved, but they're not. People may deceive themselves. They may think that they really are saved, but their lives save, say the opposite. Their assurance is usually put in the wrong place. These are some of the reasons they may think they have assurance of salvation. They may say, my church had an altar call, and I went down that altar about a dozen times. I said the sinner's prayer not once, not twice, but three times. I grew up in a Christian family. I went out evangelizing and so on and so forth. Or some others might say, God is too loving. He would never let me go to hell. And you see the problem as to with all these reasons why people may have false assurance it's all based on what they've done. I did this, and I did that. And another error would be to have a grand doctrine of God. God is to love, and He loves everyone. Everybody will be saved. This reminds me of Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, a verse that scares a lot of people. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the ones but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to you, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart 
from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice what these people are saying. They're saying, did we not prophesy for you? Did we not cast out demons? And did we not do miracles? These people have confidence that they're saved because of what they did for Christ and not for what Christ did for them. These people think that they're saved based on their performance. In other words, they think that they're saved by law and not gospel. So yes, people may have false assurance, but imposters are usually not the ones who come to the pastors and say, I just don't know if I'm saved. I love Jesus, but what if I'm deceiving myself? So-called Christians usually don't care if they're genuine or not. They think they're right with God simply because, because God is love. Unbelievers love that verse for some reason. You can, you can find an atheist on the street and they'll say, God is love, man. God is love, man. Or as they say nowadays, love is love. And you got me there. That's really deep stuff. I have really high hopes for the next generation. When all you can say, love is love. So many people have false assurance because they have the wrong doctrine of God. The wrong doctrine of salvation. This is why discipleship is so important. That we may bring you up with the right doctrine of God. The right doctrine of salvation. How are you saved? Do your works merit anything to your final justification, so on and so forth? There are some who say, come to the pastor and say, I love Jesus. I want to have assurance, but there's still so much sin in my life. Is that you? Yeah, you probably raise your hand. There's still sin in your life? And you know, to those people who think they cannot have salvation or assurance of salvation because they're sinners, we say, welcome to the team. The great apostle Paul had the same thought in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions. Does this sound like you? I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The Christian life is a difficult life. Think about it. The longer we're Christians, the more aware we become of our sins. It's, it has been said that the Christian life is like this dimmer switch. The longer you're a Christian, the higher God's turning on that light, and the more you realize how much you fall short of the glory of God. It's not that we become worst sinners. I hope not. But it's the fact that as God is shining the light of his glory and holiness to your life, you realize, poor, wretched sinner that I am. Martin Luther summarized it and he said, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Jesus, I don't see how I can be lost. The issue of ongoing sin is a serious sin. And this is a pastoral question. There may be legitimate reasons for people to doubt. It could be a persistent sin. It could be an unrepentant sin. 
So this person needs to repent from their sins, but they also need to come to the elders to receive right discipleship and that they may help you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number three, this is my, my main point, point number three. Now, it's, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who uh, as, as the, as goes to the restaurant and, and gets the food and they got the potatoes and asparagus and the steak. I eat the asparagus and the potatoes first because I want the steak last, right? I want to go home with that juicy steak taste in my mouth. But there, but there are some people who rather eat the steak first, and God bless those people. <laughs> um, and so I've saved the best for last because I just I like I want you to go home with the, with the flavor of steak. The Bible teaches that there are three main ways by which we may know that we are saved. Number one, the Spirit of God testifies to us that we are children of God. The Spirit of God testifies to us that we are children of God. Now, we have come from, is it possible to have assurance? They say yes. What about those who have false assurance? Am I, am, am I one of those? And now we come to the fact that how do I know? Where does my assurance come from? Romans 8.15 says, right? Spirit of God testifies that we're children of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See, all true Christians by the working of the Holy Spirit in their hearts are given the testimony that they are children of God. We receive the spirit of adoption that cries, Abba, Father. This is like a, a certificate that's given to the parents of the child they have just adopted. The certificate indicates this is your child, this is your responsibility, and you will take care of him. In the same way, but the other way around, there is a certificate that's given to the children of God. There is a seal that's given to the children of God. To those have, who have been welcomed to the family of God. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So you see, true Christians have the Spirit of God within them. And we know we can with confidence call upon God our Father in moments of distress and we know that He hears us. Just as my child can come to me, He doesn't doubt that I'm His Father. He can just come to me. He has this confidence. He knows it. For example, a child doesn't need to make an appointment to come into the office. He can just come in. He just hurt himself at school and he's crying. He does not need to make an appointment. He knows he can come to the Father in moments of distress. And so true Christians know that we can come to the Father and we know that he hears us. So point number two, where does assurance come from? 
the Spirit of God testifies in our hearts. Number two, fruit in our life. Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The fruit that the Spirit has produced in our hearts bears witness that we have been adopted into the family of God. The more time we spend with the family of God, the more we begin to look like Christ. It is as if maybe you belong to a family who likes to yell a lot, just kind of the way you communicate in the household. And you think, hey, this is just what we do. Other people must do this as well. Or maybe you're just a family who likes to run or hunt or fish. Hey, this is what we do. This is how we are recognized. In the same way, when you belong to the family of Christ, we learn that in this family, we love our enemies. In this family, we have no favoritism. We don't steal. We pray for those who persecute us. And we love because he first loved us. Fruits in our lives are a legitimate way of trying to discern whether the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. We, we can look at our lives and see that there has been a change. Um, and John 15, 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So we are called to produce fruit. But you know what? Unfortunately, fruit searching has become the way by which we determine whether we are Christians or not. Fruit searching has become the litmus test for true faith. Preachers with good intentions tell the congregation, hey, I want you to live holy lives. I want you to produce much fruit. But people become burnt out. They're confused if the whole gospel is not preached, and they can become unsure whether they're really saved or not. They really never know how much fruit is ever enough. Okay, patience is a good fruit, but how much patience is good enough? I want patience now, right? Gentleness is a good fruit, but how much gentleness is good enough? It has been said that the older you get, the crankier you get. And so, for the older folks, they may see, hey, I don't have much gentleness anymore. Did you read your Bible enough? Did you pray enough? Did you sing enough? How much quiet time did you do this week? Ten minutes? Not enough. See, if you're looking at your own performance for your assurance, it'll be difficult for you to find it. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we never do enough. This is a long quote, but very good. Hodge, the systematic theologian, said, many, many sincere believers are too introspective. They look too exclusively within, so that their hope grows by the degree of evidence of regeneration, which they find in their own experience. 
He says, this, except in rare cases, can never lead to the assurance of hope. We, we may examine our hearts with all the microscopic care prescribed by Jonathan Edwards in Religious Affections. And we'll never be satisfied that we have eliminated every ground of misgiving and doubt. He says, the grounds of assurance are not so much within as outside of us. We must have a correct view of fruits in the Christian life. There has to be a balance. Yes, we look at our life for signs of regeneration and fruit that the Holy Spirit has come and dwelt within us. But we look primarily to Jesus Christ and to His promises. Too many make the performance the foundation by which they know they're saved. So point number three, we put our hope and our assurance comes from primarily the promises and the work of Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, in order to have full assurance, we must look primarily to the work of Jesus Christ, His life, the bloody cross outside of Jerusalem. We look at the one who was crucified and was buried and to the one who rose from the dead for our justification. My mom used to tell me, don't sit too close to the TV, you'll go blind. And you know, now that I think about it, that's probably why I wear glasses today. <laughs> she was probably right. And maybe as Christians, we need to sit as close as we possibly can to Jesus Christ. Maybe let's picture Christ as the television and let's sit, let's sit as close as we possibly can and let's stare at His work. Let's go blind because we looked at Him so much. If we desire to have full assurance of salvation, we must look at the objective promises of God, the objective, right? The object of Christ, His work and His promises. Because if I look within, I will be disappointed. But when I look to Christ, I will be at peace. Again, when I look at myself, I don't see how I could be lost, how I could be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't know how I could be lost. He's a great Savior. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? Having been justified by faith. And this is probably the equivalent to the Old Testament word for shalom, right? We probably know what shalom means. Fullness, completeness, wholeness. It is from the objective fact that we have been made righteous in His sight, that we can find subjective peace. It is from the objective to the subjective that we must go. If we wish to have full assurance, like we sang this morning, I say to you, fix your eyes upon Jesus. 
the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I'm just going to read the promises of God, and you would do well to memorize this. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Romans 8.38, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. It's like Paul ran out of things to quote. He couldn't think of anything else. So he says, nor any other thing, create, other thing created. Just in case you forgot something, he said, not any other thing will be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Jesus Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you feel the burden of sin in your life? He will give you rest. When I was reading this, he says, or who labor and are heavy laden, I just thought the heaviness of the law that was on the people and the heaviness of the law that sometimes in our hearts, hey, I haven't done good enough this week. And sometimes our shoulders are heavy. And Jesus Christ says, come to me. And I will give you rest. Like Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress, as Christian goes up the hill with his backpack. And he looks at the cross, and the burden falls off from his shoulders. Hebrews 7.25. Are you worried maybe that you haven't prayed enough this week? Guess what? Jesus has prayed enough for you. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is praying for you today, and every time you break God's law, and you, you see your life, and you say, I am not good enough. Christ is saying, I am good enough, and I am praying for you. We have an advocate with the Father, the Christ, the man, Lord Jesus. If there be any moments of doubt in our hearts and we be disappointed because we haven't lived up to the, God, to the, to the law of God, shocker, we never do. Maybe we're in a place where sin has been beating us lately. I want to encourage you to be like John the Baptist who with his holy finger was, only, was always pointing to Jesus Christ. Look at him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let us be like John the Baptist and not look within, but look outside of us to the object and his promise as Jesus Christ. 
So number one, we can have assurance because the Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts that we are children. We can have assurance by the fruit the Holy Spirit has brought about in our lives. And number three, in order to have peace with God, we must primarily look to Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for his people. We need to trust his promises and partake of the gifts he has given us, namely the preaching and teaching and the reading of God's word, baptism, and supper. Those are objective things. We can touch them. We can see them. These are the promises of God. If salvation was up to you, well, yes, maybe you would have a point in doubting your salvation. But it is all of Christ. And he will lose none of his sheep. And you can trust him that he will not lose you. So let us run the race as we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation and assurance. Let us sit as we can, sit as close as we can to the television. Let us sit as close as we can to Jesus Christ. Let us stare at him. Gaze upon his glory for our assurance. Let's hear what he has to say about us. Because only in him do we find the peace that we need. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your promises. We thank you that you send your Son into the world for the propitiation of our sins. We know that everyone who comes to you will find rest and peace because of the work of your Holy Son. Let us look to you for our assurance. And may the Holy Spirit continue to work in our lives as we seek to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.